listeners, welcome at this third episode of the Meet the Expert podcast series. In this series, Meet the Expert, together with well-known experts from around the globe, we'll explore challenges and opportunities in the big veterinary world. And in this episode, we are going to zoom into the topic of precision livestock farming, also known as PLF. The Meet the Expert podcast series is a co-production of Böhringer Ingelheim Animal Health and Pig Progress. My name is Vincent Tebeek, I'm editor for Pig Progress and I'm the host of today's episode. Today's guest is Professor Dr. Daniel Bergmans. He's full emeritus professor at KU Leuven in Belgium, as well as adjunct distinguished professor at the University of Tennessee in the United States. In addition, he's chief technical officer at Biorix. You're going to listen to a podcast that was recorded live on stage during a Böhringer Ingelheim event held in Budapest, Hungary, in May 2022, ahead of the annual symposium for porcine health management. When I think of Professor Bergmans, I think of precision livestock farming. And perhaps for everybody who is not so familiar with precision livestock farming, I'd like to invite you briefly what the concept is all about. Okay. Thanks. Precision livestock farming, that means that there is technology for continuous monitoring of animals. Continuous, that means every second. For example, 20,000 sound samples or 25 images per second or 250 uh, signals from a sensor. So the idea is instead of the farmer walking through the animals to detect problems, the technology takes it over, sound, image and sensors, and does it continuously 24-7. That's the idea. And the continuously, I hear you say a couple of times, that is essential with this all, isn't it? That is indeed essential because living organisms like pigs or broilers, cows, are like humans. That means they are time varying. Time varying means if something happens, that every time that you respond to that might be different. If my wife is asking me something on a Saturday morning and I'm relaxed, I will answer. And she might ask the same question on a Monday morning when I'm stressed, I might give a different answer. Time varying. So that's typical for living organisms. Yeah. So you have to monitor continuously. At lunch, I wasn't hungry, now I am. Something like something similar indeed. Um, you've been passionate with precision livestock farming pretty much all your life, but could you take us back to these first moments where it all started? Yeah, um, look, my grandfather, he had more uh, children than cows, and they, they all had the first name. So he had six children, six cows and nine children. And one day, yeah, he had a few pigs for, the, for themselves and for the family. But one day he decided to have broilers, and he did buy, I think, 3,000 broilers. And he was sitting there in that barn that he just built, and I was like 10 or 12 years sitting behind, beside him. And the question for him was, how, for God's sake, will I monitor all these individual birds? Because he was used to spend most of his time with his cows. Maybe he spent more time with the cows than with the children. So, but there I got that, that problem. How do you monitor animals? And then in the research, we monitored a lot around the animal, temperature, humidity, and all these things in research farms, until we got the idea, why don't we monitor on the animal? That's where it started in 91. That's quite a long time back indeed. Um, oh, when you started to monitor on the animals, 
well, what did the industry around you say? Did, did they say, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for? Oh, not at all. Um, no, I think it was like, this is impossible. Mm -hmm. This is a crazy idea. It will never work, yeah? Which is a very good motivation to be persistent because the world will not change by reasonable people. It mm -hmm. will be the unreasonable who bring the crazy stuff and we bring the advantage. That's what I think. And I like to do it. That was reason enough to do it. Yeah, genius and geniality and, uh, and craziness are sometimes close together, aren't they? <laughs> but you're, you're right. You have to be persistent in that. Um, fast forward to 2022. How do you feel that PLF is now? Uh, is it embraced, do you feel? No, what is amazing in research, it really is amazing. Like Sound Talks, the technology, the first uh, experiments we published about 25 publications, I think it's about 40 years ago. And look where we are today. Finally, there is a product that can go to the field that is used. But for me, it's still too slowly. So the, to, to have a product is one step. Um, or to make a first solution, yeah. Then you have to improve. You have to solve many problems. Then you have to bring it to the application. And that is the most difficult part. Because in many universities, we think, oh, we have something. And then they, they do months month of discussion on IP and royalties but most of the things never make it to the field. So what still has to happen in precision livestock farming yet has to come. Soundox is one of the first examples where it really is uh, possible to bring it at large scale. Now, now everybody has, in the session before, has been able to hear a little bit things about Soundox. Those people who listen, listen to this as a podcast may not be familiar with it. Could you briefly explain what the Soundtalk solution is all about? So Soundtalks, as the name is saying, animals are also talking. And what they do now, because there was an interesting question, is it only monitoring coughing? Well, uh, to be honest, the idea in the beginning was since veterinarians are listening to the coughing, because uh, for 10 years I was visiting about 100 farms every year, and with veterinarians, and I could see what they did. It was a simple idea. Why don't we automate this? Eh? But as also Carmen said very nicely, it's beginning of an adventure because animals, they also talk. The saw will talk to the piglets. Wait a moment, the milk is gone. Yeah, come on guys, there is milk, but we don't understand it yet, but that is all coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Sound Talks is about using sound to get information from animals. You know, it's a misconception to think that you have to measure 35 things. Living organisms, that's another characteristic like us. We show everything, like a pig, in many ways. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way your facial expression in pigs, how the tail and the ears are. You only measure one of them, but accurately and continuously, and then it comes, learn to interpret it. Mm -hmm. That's where the veterinarian comes in. And when you measure the sounds in the barn, do you mention the quantity or is it also a matter of distinguishing which kind of sound, uh, cough you hear? Yeah, it's a very big challenge, uh, first of all, in all these sounds to pick up only coughings. That's, that's a huge challenge. Yeah? That in itself already. Yeah, that in itself takes a, a quite complex algorithm to understand. Is this a, a cough? Because another issue there is you need a reference. Like if you want to see, uh, you want to develop an infection monitor, you need to know, is the pig now infected, yes or no? We call it the gold standard. Where in sound, to see whether it's a cough, it took us three years to understand that when we listened to it, we didn't, we didn't catch, we didn't count them correctly. And you, you don't only need to count them, you need to know when does it start and stop 
and the average time of a curve is 1.2 seconds. Mm -hmm. So we learned with uh, our colleagues, if we listen to a monitored sound, we, don't, we have to look to have very accurate uh, counting of coughing. And uh, there is much more than the duration. There is a lot of information in the signals. We, we people are very good to do these things, but that is now something that a computer can also do. And I suppose it also depends on the circumstances. If, if there is dry air, if the, 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 well, the air is uh, kind of yeah. pungent, for instance. Again, a reason why you have to monitor in real time, because mm -hmm. the whole situation, the animal, but the environment, everything is changing. So you have to do it uh, continuously to adapt to all these things. If we go back to, well, the, we've already talked about sound talks, but what would you consider at the moment is among the biggest achievements of precision livestock farming at this moment? Now, for me, if I look to the future, the biggest achievement is related to infection monitoring. Look, I don't have to explain in these days with COVID that 70% um, of the zoonosis we get, they come from animal. It goes from, everybody knows, I guess, the one health concept, air, water, soil brings um, this to uh, wildlife, brings it to livestock, brings it to human, and it's turning around. So infection monitoring is a very big thing, that is one. But the other part is to scale up worldwide. We really need to make that technology very cheap. It's, a, it's of course expensive in the beginning because it's small series, but the price of technology depends on the numbers produced. Mm -hmm. So there is still a lot of work to do. That is, but I was also trying to look for, um, well, we've talked about sound talks, but can you explain what kind of other development have, have there been found to, I think of precision feeding, for instance, there must be, that, that's also a form precision of... Precision feeding is a very big one, because mm. at the end of the day, all the energy that is used by an animal, and we think and hope to get it in production results, and that comes from feed input, mm -hmm. yeah. But the feed input, the energy is used for the basal metabolism, that is what the animal needs to keep organs functioning, like with human. The next step is movement, that takes energy. The next step is body control, temperature control, the thermal environment. That's why we bring them often inside. And then there is the mental component, animal welfare. And finally, there is what can go to production. And in the basal one is the metabolic energy for the immune system. So there is much more which is possible, but um, the, the, the big, challenge today, bring it to the large-scale implementation in the field. I see so many researchers in conferences who do things that we did already 30 years ago. Don't reinvent the wheel, push it to a useful product, mm -hmm. which is a huge challenge for industry. Mm -hmm. And, and well, with the technology like, for instance, precision feeding, what kind of sensors do you use then? Okay, for broilers, what we, we, we struggled a lot. To be honest, we struggled with everything. Maybe it's us, but we struggled with everything. Uh, we, we started with sensors on chicken, mm -hmm. on broilers, until we got the idea, it took us three years, that we put a very cheap microphone in the feeder pan. Mm -hmm. And then we can detect in each packing how much the animal is eating. It's a very accurate technique. We couldn't convince a feeder pan producer so far to introduce it in a commercial product. Now, what I find intriguing is that when you use sensors in a relatively rough environment, like a pig house or a broiler pen, for instance, um, things can look fantastic in theory, but in practice, it, you may run against some well, challenges, so to say. What kind of challenges 
have you come across in your uh, experience? No, it's a huge challenge because we were not convinced that the idea was uh, realistic and then we got, uh, thanks to the EU, an 8 million euro project where we installed in 20 farms in 12 EU countries all the technology, sound, image and sensors, in broilers, in fattening pigs and dairy. That did run for four years and then we and many others were convinced this will go because we kept it working in a fully automated way 24-7 for four years. Then it was like, okay, this technology will not be stopped. We have to do it. Because there's many technical issues to solve. Huh? Mm -hmm. Like um, if you have a microphone or you have a camera, it has to work in a very harsh environment with dust, with gases, with high pressure systems. I was going to say serious challenges. So also on the technical side, the companies who produce it then must be very persistent and solve all these problems. Yeah, yeah. be very persistent and patient all the time. Um, <clears throat> now, we're here in a room with all, all kinds of veterinary professionals. Um, you've already touched on that, but how can they, can this kind of technology help them do that job better? Yeah. First of all, I think that veterinarians are in the key position. I'm really meaning it. Why? Because the secret is not to just monitor numbers. The secret is to interpret it, and for that you need process knowledge. The veterinarian is the only one who comes regularly in farms. Uh, on all the rest, there was savings on feed, expert, that's not done anymore. But then for the veterinarian, he has to interpret the quantitative objective results that will monitor continuously in relation to that farm and that farmer. Yeah? The first advantage, you get uh, continuously measured objective data by technology. It's not an impression. The second thing, there is early warning. Then you, you interpret these results and you do a treatment. And very interesting, you get feedback whether your, whether your treatment or your action is working because the thing keeps going. So, and I can imagine, as I said, I visited many farms. The big factor is the farmer. One farmer will not accept what another will accept. Or, or um, some farmers are very critical. Uh, if there is a few coughings, they are already alerted and others, they don't care so much. But the veterinarian, he knows his farmers. So I think it's a huge support. And what is unfortunate that many veterinarians and many medical people, they are adverse technology. They think technology will take it over. Don't worry. Um, here we have a group of very, very progressive and open-minded people. The technology is not able to take such a complex process over. You need process knowledge. And it's not a computer who is intelligent enough. To be honest, I was speaking two months ago in a conference on artificial intelligence. It is fun what you hear there. It's data cruncher. They don't know is the number, is it mass, is it energy? They, they have no process information. The, the veterinarian can link process knowledge to data. And if there comes a day that he will explain to engineers like me, this is what we want from you. Technology evolved so fast that the medical and the, uh, the veterinary world could not think what can we do with it. Eh? Mm -hmm. But that will reverse. Now we see the first revert. We are waiting a sensor. We know what to do, but the sensor is not there. Th that is a big difference. So in a sense, the veterinarian is essential in interpreting Absolutely. all the data. That you That's get what out I think. So, but do you hear that a lot, that people are afraid that technology yeah. will take over? Yeah, because um, look, it, it is a complete new way of working mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah? But the good thing about the actual situation, eh, we see the big challenges in the livestock sector. We see 
the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, eight of them are related to livestock. If we don't change the livestock sector, we are in big trouble. Because in my country, at least, the community doesn't accept it anymore. They want animal welfare. They want that it is cheaper because they only buy the cheap meat. Mm. Yeah, uh, They don't want the environmental pollution. So we will have to come up. So that's a good moment to have changes. There is now challenges enough to keep, uh, to do it in another way. Everybody can feel that the world is changing today more than ever in our life. So that's the way to act. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> one other question that I had, um, well, these, these kinds of technologies, they, they sound flashy and I can imagine that for large farms, they can be really the, the way ahead. But how are you going to reach the smaller farmers with this? Yeah, very good question. First of all, I think that 3% of the farms, they produce about 80% of the animal products worldwide. Eh? So the good news is that those uh, big farms are prepared to invest in the, in the beginning rather expensive technology. But um, the other point is, can it be affordable for small farms? And I also think about developing countries because for uh, poor people in developing countries, it's not only their fee food, it's also their social status, is their recognition by the community if they have livestock. But think about this. When you look to a, a, a mobile phone, yeah, it is a, a very expensive thing, that's the price, but the cost is a totally different thing. There is about 8 billion people in the world. How many of them would have a mobile phone? Uh, I know that in Kigali, in Rwanda, or in Delphi, uh, or in Vietnam, in very rural, everybody has a mobile phone. The cost to produce it, why is it cheap? Because they buy so many. But this year, over 70 billion animals will be slaughtered for the livestock, for the food production. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Every year, again, how cheap it can be, this technology. So I think it will be so cheap that every individual animal will be monitored in the future. And with us having mobile phones, you get quick alarms and notifications yeah. on your... Uh, and, and with these alarms and notifications that are generated by these systems, um, can we predict that something is going to happen? Can we really say, okay, well, yeah. we know things a lot earlier? Yeah, most of the detection algorithms are based upon prediction. Mm -hmm. Like for humans, we can already predict within in one person 17 days before, on average four days before, you will get an infection. Why? Because we see your energy balance is out of range. Your immune system is in lack of energy. Yeah? So most detection algorithms are based on, on prediction. The reason why we don't do it is to increase the um, accuracy, to have no false positives. That's why in, in the algorithm you don't show that it's prediction-based, but it's always prediction-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, um, if I all hear this, and you say you mentioned that uh, that, that um, swine veterinarians or veterinarians in general, that they feel that mm, they are a little bit resistant to accept this new te technology. Do you feel that it is a matter of mindset then, that, 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 that people need to get over that threshold? And Yeah, but I, I also think to change habits is absolutely very difficult. Yeah, so... Uh, we also do like a project on truck drivers because the amount of mental energy that they burn during the driving the truck is up to 60% correlated with the fuel use. Uh, we have a company with 1,800 truck drivers. They pay over 65 million euro only on fuel. Yeah. 
But to change that, it takes six months in a driver to guide him until it's a habit for him. So I think it, people like to do what they know. They do what they are used to do. It's very good today to come out of your comfort zone and to look for changes and to embrace technology and see what is in it for me and what is in it for you in your job because it will be a game changer. You, if you're not using this way of working, I'm not sure you stick, you can stay in competition. That's what I think. Every now and then you got to try something different in order to stay up. Yeah. In fact, this is also a first podcast for me in this series. So we have, we have a game changer there as well. Um, if there is one message that you would like the audience to remember that they go home and think, yes, that's, that's the, the key message that, that, that they would like to remember from this, what would you tell them? Now, the key message that I give to everybody and I give it to my children, do only in life what you like to do. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. But in this, don't stay away from technology. Technology is there to support you with objective data that are continuously measured on animals. So you don't have to visit them all. You get reports, you get predictions, you get a lot of support, but you are the expert to interpret. If you don't interpret, the data are useless. So you are really in the key position. Sounds like a very good conclusion to round this all off. Is there anything that you feel we should have touched on or any questions that I forgot to ask? Hmm. Um, I can teach you 13 weeks, two hours a week, but uh, to say now what is really important. So uh, what is what I think is a real challenge is to bring it to farmers because farmers are very skeptical eh? and they have to see proof that you can make money with Even it. More than yeah. But the veterinarian has to look to the holistic system like Giovanni was showing. Eh? Uh, your picture, Giovanni, you showed of the farm, the, the thing can say where in the region, in which farm, in which building, in which compartment. So that is something interesting. Yeah, I hope that uh, veterinarians go and, and look to the information and the websites. And, and I think the companies bring the technology, look to it, at least try it. And then make sure that together we make a next step. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I thank you very much. for Thanks. Your, um... Thank you. And with that, we conclude this podcast for now. The next episode will zoom in on mycoplasma in the naive herd. And our guest will then be Dr. Tom Gillespie, a veterinary consultant based in Indiana, United States. You were listening to Meet the Expert, a podcast on swine disease and management brought to you every second Monday by Böhringer Ingelheim and Big Progress. Don't forget to subscribe to this series. Thank you for listening and we'll be back with soon with more podcasts. Bye.